Well, hey everyone, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation. And it is exciting to introduce our guest for today's show, Kaylee McEnany. And Kaylee, uh, political commentator, author, you served at the White House as press secretary, senior advisor during President Trump's administration. Currently on on Fox uh, News as co-host of Outnumbered, formerly national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee. I mean, it is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be home. Um, you know, I was I was raised in Plant City, Florida. I went to school in Tampa, so this area is home is for home. me. It's it's great to be back. We're glad to have you back. Now, obviously, uh, I want to start this conversation talking about what's coming up. We have the uh, election coming up with the midterms. What do you predict is going to happen? Is there going to be a red wave coming? Or I think so. Uh, and what has been interesting, if you read you know, Nate Cohn over at the New York Times, who's a pretty good analyst of these things, uh, he wrote a piece recently about polling and whether the polling industry is off once again. And he made mm. the really good point. We all know the polling industry was off in 2016. No polls showed President Trump prevailing. Um, but they were also off in 2020 um, by by big margins. Um, they had you know President Biden winning states by 16 points that he won by one or two points. Right. Um, so the modeling has really been off. And he posits that the same flaws in polling in the last eight years are present here. Um, and it's interesting to consider a polling flaw in the context of polls that show Republicans leading on the generic ballot. You know, Republicans wow. are leading by three points, by two points, depending mm -hmm. on the poll you look, which could mean more like seven or eight points. Um, but when you really whittle it down to battleground districts, Republicans are leading by even more. Wow. So I know conventional wisdom is that Dobbs was decided and abortion will decide the election. I don't think that's the case. I think it will be the bread and butter economic issues. Crime is now a number two issue. It's wow. kind of where education yeah. was the issue in Virginia last right, year. Right. It's still an issue, but right. crime is really coming up. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Republicans take the House by quite a few seats. The Senate uh, could really go either way, but I think that Republicans mm -hmm. eke it out by maybe one one seat, yeah. 51-49. If wow. you think, uh, wow, that'll be great. That'll be awesome. It, it would be, be great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in this situation. But it, is there anything you think could could happen between now and the midterms that could push it either way? Is there any kind of X factors? I mean, those are always kind of the things that you can't quite predict, but what could happen? I think that's a great question. Gas prices. Yeah. Um, you know, just this week, anything can happen. Of course, they call it October surprises. Mm -hmm. But what happened this week, I think, was um, really un unfortunate, but also very consequential electorally, mm -hmm. where OPEC, um, after the Biden administration essentially begging on their hands and knees for weeks and weeks. CNN published a piece about the backdoor efforts of the Biden administration dispatching Janet Yellen, wow. the Treasury yeah. Secretary, to try right. to convince Gulf nations right. not to cut barrels of production. And we all remember the, the fist bump with the Saudi mm -hmm. Arabian prince. Well, fist bump diplomacy didn't work, and OPEC cut 2 million barrels Biden had to pull from the strategic reserve right. and gas prices, which are already ticking back up. It appears they may tick up even more, unfortunately. Yep. And those kind of issues right before, 32 days before midterm yeah. election, um, that can that can spell doom. Yep. Yeah. I want to uh, discuss uh, the future of the Republican Party, uh, you know, especially after pr President Trump's administration. Where do you think that's going? And what do you personally think has changed with conservative American values in this process? I think one of the things that changed, um, President Trump changed politics forever, not just Republican politics. 
It was the first time we moved from, I call them mannequin type candidates, where you were expected to sit a certain, to fit a certain profile, to speak a certain way, to not be off the cuff. Um, he threw all of that out the window and just said, I'm going to be authentic for better or worse. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. Um, the style has changed where you're seeing candidates who are kind of kind of just looser, um, more in their own skin, not the pressure to be a, a robotic type mannequin sure. candidate, but just being authentic. Um, we see that in our governor who right, does a, a right. really great job at that, Governor Ron DeSantis. So I think the style has changed, but what he's done for conservatism is make a party that's responsive to the people. When you look at some of the decisions he made as president, I would argue no Republican president, probably in modern history, maybe Reagan, probably Reagan, um, but outside of him would have been as uh, crossing the T, dotting the I of every campaign promise as President Trump was. Mm -hmm. For instance, getting out of the Paris Climate Accord. The political establishment on both sides said, he's not actually going to do that as president. Getting out of the Iran deal, he's not actually going to do that as president. Appointing justices that ended up overturning Roe v. Wade, he's not going to do that. Each and every issue, he did exactly what he said. Mm. So I think he raised the standard for voters probably in both parties, because we've seen the surgence of the Bernie Sanders wing of the party that even though I don't agree ideologically, they're principled in the same way in their views. Trump is principled in his views. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on both wings, you've seen this like resurgent force of, if you said on the campaign trail, we expect you to do it. Right. So I think forevermore, yeah. you will see candidates like Ron DeSantis, like Donald Trump, who in office are as conservative as they were on the campaign, campaign trail. trail. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I think one of the other big phenomenons for for Trump's presidency specifically is how much he made conservative values more attractive to people who have never thought about it before, right? Great point. I mean, we think about guys like Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. These are not people who you would put in the camp of conservative values, yet they're starting to champion things like free speech, all those different stuff. Um, how, what's your perspective on this? And how does having guys like this in the driver's seat of things like Twitter change the future for conservatives in this country? I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. Look, and you see it with Governor DeSantis, too, mm-hmm. where uh, the things he's done are very conservative mm-hmm. and the political media establishment are stunned yeah. to see him leading by 11 points oh, yeah. in Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. 11 points. I yeah. believe that would be the highest margin of victory if he prevails by double digits yeah. like that in Florida right. modern history. Mm-hmm. And people are astounded because it is it's full on conservative. This isn't right. middle of the road. This is conservative politics. Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, you see that exactly right trickle into the Joe Rogans, mm. the Elon Musk, yeah. um, who say, you know, we're expected to think in a doctrinaire way in corporate America, mm-hmm. in social media, and in big media. Mm-hmm. And people have just rejected this tyranny of the elite where you're right. expected to right. embrace liberal politics. And I think it's because they've overreached. And people mm-hmm. look and they say, I don't think my kindergartner should be taught about sexuality. I think parents should be teaching that common sense. Right. I don't believe in drag queens at my child's school. These are things that it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. It's just basic. That's not that's right. not, right. not the American way. That's right. not what we teach our children. Leave it to parents to make those decisions, not teachers and not school administration. Mm-hmm. So because they've overreached so much on so many issues, not just education, I think you're seeing um, common sense uh, kind of echoed in the, the Joe right. Rogans, the Elon Musk, mm-hmm. and their rejection of the status quo and yeah. uh, kind of the, the liberal elite. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I want to talk a little bit about your background. Before becoming uh, White House Press Secretary, you, you began your media career as a producer for Huckabee at, uh, on Fox News and later worked as a commentator on CNN. Talk about these experiences that you had prior to the Trump administration. How did those positions kind of set you on course uh, for your role at the White House? They were a battleground, a testing uh, place, um, kind of a where the iron against iron sharpens iron, they say, I know that's a Christian principle, but I'm going to use it in a different context sure. of, for instance, being at CNN, um, you know, being in a place where you could kind of analogize it to being in front of a hostile White House right. press corps right. Right. when you're on a panel with eight people, including the host, who very clearly is embracing the liberal yeah. side of the aisle. You have to learn how to bring your facts, bring footnotes. You In the world of television, um, you know, you people have talking points, but it's so much you realize being at a hostile environment like CNN, talking points aren't enough. Yeah, like right. you need a, a fact, a figure, a statistic, because your point yep. is going yep. to be scrutinized by eight people at one time screaming over you. And perhaps you get 15 seconds to say your one your one point. So I think being in those uh, those testing scenarios. You know, I mentioned um, when I was at SEU mm. giving giving my speech, um, Alan Combs, who was a, a liberal right. who became a, a mentor to me, just a wonderful man, um, different than me ideologically, but told me, don't fight fire with fire, fight fire with water after mm -hmm. he watched yeah. me on CNN. And it taught me that, you know, if Jim Acosta is shouting a question at me or Caitlin Collins or eight people on CNN, if I am calm in my demeanor, uh, smart in my delivery and factual in what I bring to the table, the American people will listen. Right. And, you know, after my time at CNN, one of the greatest compliments I would get is I sometimes would have people on the other side of the aisle come up to me and say, I don't like, I don't agree with what you said, but I like the way you said it. So I stopped and listened. Mm. And I think um, it, when you can achieve that, it means that in your presentation, you're opening the minds of people who or at least taking the time to listen to the point of view of the administration. Yeah. And you're, you know, you have an incredible educational career, right, through Harvard Law School, then through Oxford. And I love the story you were telling earlier at our leadership forum when we were talking about how you had to present papers and had people already um, attacking it, pulling it down. How much did your educational experiences prepare you for um, your work that you've done? A lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, academia, when I was there, was a great place to be for a conservative. And now that may seem counterintuitive mm -hmm. um, because there's no doubt it was liberal at, at right, Harvard, right, at right. Georgetown, at Oxford. Um, but it advantaged me mm -hmm. as a conservative to constantly have my worldview challenged, my faith challenged, mm -hmm. my political viewpoints challenged, my international relations thoughts challenged. It advantaged me because I was, in the same way at CNN, mm -hmm. I was forced to bring um, footnotes and data points, yeah. I was forced to do so in academia at a much higher scale when right. you're writing a 20-page paper than preparing for a cable news segment. So I say I was advantaged in being a conservative because, you know, if you were a liberal on some of these campuses, you went through life unchallenged. Wow. You didn't have your viewpoint challenged. But now, and I saw this in my very last year of law school, academia, I fear, has gotten to such a point where right. there's not that free flow of conversation where professors used to encourage that and it's not even so much, it's some professors, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of times the student body where in my final year of law school, if you exp express a different view, 
you were ostracized from the community. Yeah. You weren't welcome. You mm. were demonized. And I really hate that that's the direction academia has gone in because right. I really appreciated the back and forth of ideas. Um, yeah. At Oxford, for example, mm, yeah. I was there when Barack Obama was elected. Mm. Obviously not a happy day for sure, me. Right. Sure. Um, but for hours, we, we stayed up, the, the, my classmates and I, and they picked my brain like a little science experiment. How do you think this way? You know, Why did you support Mitt Romney? But it was fun and it was intellectual. And um, I'm, it's sad to see those days kind of ending on ac on yeah, academic campuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we saw that we had uh, Kristen Wagner here. She was our commencement speaker in May, you know, and she was at Yale. Um, and and that demonstration of the students. I mean, literally, they had to bring police in. And yep. It wow. was just wild. Because and who was she? She was debating. Um, uh, um, another professor at Yale that actually invited on her. Free speech. Wow, on free speech. On free yeah. and, speech. And, and the students were, you know, just taking over the, the, the space and they couldn't, you know, and both of them were actually in agreement, you know, that they can, can debate this in a civil way, but the students would allow it. And, 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 you know, we have amazing students that come our way and, and, these students, they want to get involved. They, they want to step off the sidelines and be civically engaged and, and be able to share. We see a lot of young people getting involved in politics and sharing their views on, on social media. What do you think the upcoming generation has to offer when it comes to that? What do you think are um, their strengths and maybe even some of their weaknesses when they engage with social media? I think social media is a microcosm uh, that takes away the human face. Sure. And mm -hmm. because it does that, it allows for untold levels of hatred, of vitriol, of cruelty. Um, and it's been uh, in many ways a net negative. Yes, we're more connected than ever before, but people are also more hostile than ever before. Um, you know, I, I, it's really kind of been a cancer on society in, in so many ways and not just in this place. Um, but, you know, the next generation, I always... I'm a millennial, um, I will say. Uh, I know there are younger generations, but my generation, unfortunately, got a bad rap. Uh, I, I love my generation. We're enterprising, smart, hardworking, uh, happened to graduate in the Great Recession with oh, Obama right, in 2008. Right. And many of my colleagues couldn't find jobs for the degrees they sought, even though they were trying their best. Mm. But we got the reputation of being the kids in our parents' basement when a lot of kids just graduated during a really hard economic time. So what I say to the even younger generations, you don't know what a, a hard economy looks like unless you graduated right. in the millennial generation. Um, you know, and I know now there are ample jobs for, you know, all, mm -hmm. all young people, but that's not always the case. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So what I say to even the younger generation is, is know the opportunities you have are vast, uh, pursue your dreams. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's not always so easy uh, and take advantage of, of really the sea of opportunity that you have at, at your mm -hmm. doorstep. Yeah. And then what yeah. about students, you know, that are resonate with you, right? Maybe they have that conservative background, they were raised in a particular home and they're stepping into new college campuses, different things like that. How can they stay firm in what they've been taught and what they've been put up in those situations? I know where you stand mm -hmm. and be principled. Um, I think you know, listen to the other side. I, I certainly did. I listened to the other side of the argument and um, there are times when the other side of the argument is, is right and you can acknowledge those moments um, and be open-minded, but stay firm to who you are. Um, you know, for me, I, I always say my worldview is I was a Christian, Israel-loving conservative who mm -hmm. went into the field of foreign policy and had my viewpoint challenged and I, I graduated a Christian, Israel-loving conservative, even though I was challenged. Um, my former tutor at Oxford was a member of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Mm -hmm. She thought very differently than me. I still maintain my views on geopolitics, um, mm -hmm. 
But I, I, I learned about the other side of the argument, and it brings humanity to any situation, mm-hmm. either international relations, politics, um, to listen. So you can stay firm and principled, but if you bring a fact with you to the argument rather than um, mm-hmm. – which unfortunately it all too often descends into this um, kind of the ad hominem attacks. Right. We even yeah. saw it in the press briefing room, which yeah. is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, refrain from the ad hominem attacks, bring a fact with you. And at the end of the day, um, you'll leave more principled than you, mm-hmm. than you came yeah. oftentimes. Yeah. Well, that's a good point that like students don't have to be afraid of a challenge. And I think that's mm-hmm. this big, there's this myth that's out there that the challenge of the college campus is something scary, something to be avoided. But oftentimes, like you said, you can go through these challenges and still remain faithful. That's your choice on yes. that part of it. Um, how can student, How can parents really encourage their students to maintain and be faithful to those, to those points? I think that's so important. You know, I was advantaged in that I grew up in a family where on Sundays I was at my Southern Baptist church. On Wednesdays I was mm-hmm. at youth group. And on Monday through Friday I was at my Catholic school. And so and my dad was instilling in me principles along the way uh, that equipped me when I left for college. And I did have my viewpoint challenged. I had so many facts at my, at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, as I'm raising my daughter, I, I worry a lot. You know, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm a parent, so I finally understand what my parents went through. Right. And you worry because um, it's scary sending right. your daughter to yeah. a school and the things they're teaching in elementary schools, right. like right. the kind of backlash against Governor DeSantis, who just said in K through three education, right. we're leaving sexuality to the parents, not right. to the teachers. So basic. I mean, right. when when people are truly pulled on the language of the bill, 70% of people support it because yeah, it's such right. common sense. Um, but I am going to be spending time with my daughter, taking her to church. We go to church together on mm-hmm. Sundays. Read, I read her a devotional every night before she goes yeah. to bed. My husband and I, we mm-hmm. pray together. Mm-hmm. So when my daughter leaves, the same way my faith was in my heart and in my mind, it's going to be in hers. So no yeah. matter how out of control... Uh, 17 years from now, I can't even imagine, or 15 years from now, our college campuses get. I hope there's a, a sea change. Yeah. Uh, but if there's not, she'll be ready because she'll have two parents who spent time with her, teaching her this is the right way um, and here's why, yeah. and demonstrating that through acts of love. Oh, that's so good. And, and, and you are a person of strong faith, and that faith informs how you you know, do everything in, in your role. And, and, uh, but I know there are so many moments that you faced um, a lot of hostile people and environment, especially as a press secretary. How, how did you personally stand firm in your faith despite those circumstances? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great question. I mean, I think by my training helped me, um, we which we went through a little bit. But before the last thing we did, and your son Davis yes. was on my team mm-hmm. in the White House, uh, what an extraordinary son that you've raised. Um, you. But he can attest the last thing that we did in my press secretary office before going to the podium was to say a prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really behooved us more than any of the hours and hours of preparation we put in. Because uh, when we walked to the podium, had all of the facts that we had been through, but more than that, the ability to stay calm. Um, I remember a theologian saying before, remember that behind every question is a questioner. Yeah. And that questioner has all sorts of reasons for the way they're acting, um, yeah. hurts in their lives, things that have happened. So if they get hostile, remember it's a human being behind yeah. the question. Yeah. And I think when you can maintain that really Christian perspective right. of 
the way you interact with other individuals. Yeah. It helps uh, you to take a breath in the moments mm -hmm. when you're being attacked. Like, and then the attacks did get personal about, unfortunately, and I think this is so unproductive for the country. And it wasn't every reporter. It was a handful who would wage personal attacks about your character. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a press secretary standing yeah. up there communicating the viewpoint of an administration. I'm not putting myself out there. I'm uh, putting forward a viewpoint from an administration, sure. but it got so personal in a way that's fallen away during the Biden administration, which is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know there's a different standard that's very evident in the way questions are asked of a Republican press secretary and a Democrat one. I, just yeah. go watch the mm -hmm. questions. Right. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. very different. And that, you know, that reminds me a verse, and we often talk about it here in, in how we respond and react to, to all the issues and challenges. But that verse that, that Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where he says, be on guard, mm -hmm. stand firm in the faith, uh, be strong, be courageous. But then he says, but do everything with love. Yes. And and you approach it that way and it, somehow it diffuses, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of what happens just, just by that demeanor that mm -hmm. you approach. And and you're so good at that, and and yeah, so grateful for for your faith and Thank how you, you. stood firm in it. It's a great verse, and you know the one I always refer to uh, is the to always give a reason for the hope that you yes. have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Oh, and yeah. such saved words, right? Yeah, Timeless exactly. words that um, seem to be applicable on our college campuses right. and at a White House press podium. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to move into our fire round, and uh, that's where we ask some quick questions and get some quick gut reactions, and, and this helps us to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice for all of those who are listening mm -hmm. uh, in today. Uh, Michael, I'll let you ask. We're just going to ask three quick questions, and yep. Michael, I'll ask you to, to fire away. Fire away. Okay, so first question. Obviously, with your career, um, you had to do a lot to prepare yourself for the next door that came. What advice would you give to people that are, you know, students or, or different early career professionals to be ready for opportunities when they come their way? I think, um, you know, always, especially if you're interning, mm -hmm. be useful to your boss and that you go above and beyond. You know, a lot of times interns, they come into an office, don't know how to uh, interact in a situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're being given small tasks. Well, rise to the occasion. Um, you know, I remember being a, a Fox News intern. Sorry, it's a little bit longer an answer. I'll make it quicker. But I was an intern at Fox and I said, you know what? I could make my boss's job easier if I wrote the opening script mm -hmm. for Hannity. Big task for an intern. <laughs> Started setting it on his desk, setting it on desk he was this is pretty good and then he let me write it every mm. day he'd edit it of course yeah. um, but then he gave me the responsibility of going in and helping to produce the introduction just a small anecdote yeah. about kind of going above and beyond yeah. in your internships um, and your jobs and people really notice if you're that kid that takes the extra step love it okay this is a question we ask a lot if you could sit down with any leader past or present who would that be and why Ooh, uh, President Ronald Reagan, one of mm -hmm. the greatest presidents in American modern yes. history, um, and Margaret Thatcher, yes. you know, as, as a woman, you can't yeah. help but, but love her. Yeah. And yeah. I would add in there the queen who um, oh, yes. you managed to uh, have both the right and the left love you and adore you. And you're the steadfast presence yeah. in, in British society. It's pretty yeah. remarkable and a, a great Christian. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, a lot of that was brought out. You right. know, in this celebration of her life, her faith. So, yeah, powerful. If I could add Billy Graham in there, too. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Love it. Love yeah. it. Last question for us. What's one piece of advice you would give your 21-year-old self? Oh, wow. Oh, I know exactly what. Mm -hmm. Trust God. He has your path. Because um, yep. when you're a go-getter and an overachiever, you wonder why a door slammed in your face. And now 
I look back and every door that was slammed in my face, there was a reason. And I would have saved myself a lot of anxiety and worry if I would have just trusted from the get-go. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kaylee, for being on this podcast and just so uh, admire you and, and, you know, I love your, your latest book, you know, for such a time as this, that you talk about how, you know, God has placed you in roles because again, he, you know, he created you, designed you in a way to use you that will influence a lot of people's lives. Thank you. And you do that. And we're so grateful for that. Well, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. Southeast, Southeastern University is just a beautiful campus, amazing staff, and the kids who go here have been so impressive. So at SEU, you are doing everything right. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. If you want to stay, uh, uh, you know, following Kay- uh, Kaylee, uh, we want to make sure that we, uh, f- your Twitter handle, Instagram, what's the best way we can uh, have our listeners follow you if they want to get more? Just at Kaylee McEnany, and I, that's Instagram, Twitter, True Social, everywhere. Okay. Yep, just the Great. name. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on Framework Leadership today. Take care, everybody. Thank you.